0: Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to see you here at the Vista today. <clears throat> if we haven't met before, my name's Austin. I get to serve here as one of our lead pastors. And if you're brand new here, here for the first time, uh, we hope that you feel loved, that you feel welcome, that you feel wanted, that you feel right at home here at the Vista. Uh, today, we are in the fifth week of our series called Us For Them. right? Not us versus them, not us against them, us for them. And we have received so much fantastic feedback over the past few weeks, feedback that I would kind of uh, put together in a summary by people saying, ouch, but thank you. Make sense? Ouch, but thank you. Ouch, because this stuff is hard to talk about, right? It, it is hard to admit how self-righteous and antagonistic we can be, how wrapped up we are in blaming others and telling ourselves that it's all. Their fault, they are the problem and I, me, we, I am the solution. We love doing that. It's painful to admit how much we love it and how sinful and self-righteous it is. But thank you because isn't there something just so liberating, man, about dragging that antagonism and self-righteousness out into the light and just confessing it? I I think, I know it's painful, but there's something so liberating about just saying, yeah, God, you got me. I've been self-righteous and antagonistic. And so this morning, we're going to do something that I think is going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to have a lot of fun. I I hope you have a lot of fun. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit today about two different, like, reflexes, okay? Two different postures, two different perspectives on the world that go by many, many different names, but are probably best described by the adjectives conservative and progressive conservative and progressive oh yeah we're going there today so what we're going to examine is why i feel the collective oh my god we're going to talk about this we are indeed and so what i would like to suggest is that we're going to examine why biblically faithfulness to christ requires us to be conservative and progressive not conservative or progressive all right so I know you're skeptical. It's fine, but I got 25 minutes. It'll be good. So sit back. We're going to start with two different stories, okay? So make yourself comfortable. Get comfortable in your mask. You know, can sip a little coffee if you want and and receive these two stories, okay? So once upon a time, the vast majority of humans suffered in societies and institutions that were unjust and oppressive. These traditional societies were reprehensible because of their deep-rooted inequality, exploitation, and irrational traditionalism. But the noble aspiration for autonomy and equality defeated the forces of oppression and established modern, liberal, democratic societies. There's still much to be done to dismantle the vestiges of inequality, exploitation, and repression. And the liberation and inclusion of all people is the one mission truly worth dedicating one's life to achieving. Okay. Story number one. Story number two. Once upon a time, America was a shining beacon Then progressives erected an enormous federal bureaucracy. They subverted traditional beliefs and opposed God every step of the way. Instead of adhering to traditional American values of family and personal responsibility, they preached promiscuity and victimhood. Instead of requiring people to work for a living, they encouraged welfare. Instead of punishing criminals, they tried to understand them. Instead of being strong, they cut military budgets and disrespected our flag. Americans need to take their country back from those seeking to undermine it. Now, these two stories appear in Jonathan Haidt's fantastic book called The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. Sound like an interesting book. You should read it. Our staff read it a couple years ago. Highly recommend it. And as you probably noticed, these two stories portray two very different ways of understanding the world, don't they? You heard it. There's just very different ways of understanding the world. And as you probably also noticed, it's highly likely that you liked one of those stories a whole lot more than you liked the other one, right? You heard one of those stories and you were like, mm-hmm, yes and amen. Then you heard the other story and you were like, mm, my spider senses are tingling, right? There is something I do not like about the story. I can't put my finger on it, but I don't like it. So the first story is what we might call The progressive story. And it is primarily a story of liberation. It's centered around the concepts of inclusion, equality, and progress. And as such, it sees a past that's mostly negative. Do you notice that? It sees a mostly negative past that was filled with oppression and inequality and thus feels that we need to move out of our oppressive past to make a more inclusive future. Make sense? Uh, just listen, for example, to the campaign slogans of the last two Democratic presidents. Okay, so in 92, Bill Clinton's slogan was, For people for change. 96, it was, Building a bridge to the 21st century. 2012, Barack Obama's was, Change we can believe in. And in 2012, slogan was, Forward, right? And so what do we hear in all those slogans, right? What words come to mind? Change, forward, progress. We have a bad past. So we need to move forward forward into a more inclusive future, okay? And the second story is what we might call the conservative story, and it's primarily a story of defense, right? It's centered around the concepts of responsibility, order, and loyalty, and as such, it sees a past that's mostly positive, right? You see the difference there? It sees a past that is mostly full of decency and Goodness, And so it thinks preserving that past, the good parts of it, is the most important part of our mission in the world. For example, of course, look no further than Donald Trump's 2016 campaign slogan, which was what? Make America great again, right? So what do you hear in this slogan? Well, you hear these ideas, again, of heritage, order, and defense. Once upon a time, America was great. We need to reach back to that and preserve it in the future. And so as you can tell from this very brief example... Um, The conservative and progressive divide, it runs pretty deep, doesn't it? Two very different ways of understanding things. But what I would like to suggest to you is that this conservative and progressive tension can be a healthy tension instead of an unhealthy tension. Okay, because some tensions are unhealthy, right? Like, for example, the tension that is made when nails scrape down a chalkboard. You know that sound? Some of you, I see some of you, you got goosebumps when I just said it. Right, that is an unhealthy tension. You hate that tension. It's not good. But not all tensions are unhealthy. Some tensions are not only healthy, but they're actually good and important and creative. Like, for example, the strings on a guitar. And you play play guitar a little bit. I know a few of you probably do. Right. So you know how these strings work, right? They're all different thickness, and you got to tighten them up here on the top. And when you get the tension right, what does it do? Right? It makes music. If you got no tension on these strings, then you got no music. Right? You don't want to listen to a guitar. That doesn't have any tension. You need the tension. It's a good tension. So whether you consider yourself conservative or progressive or somewhere in between, this is what I want us to do. Let's tune our ears into scripture so that instead of wasting our time scraping our fingernails across the chalkboard, right? And that's what so much of our talking and thinking is to me nowadays. At least it sounds like nails on a chalkboard to me. We can play the tension that makes gospel music. Okay, So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Acts 15. We're going to read a really important story. And as I read this, I want you to listen Okay, for the gospel tension at work here in Acts 15, this gospel, conservative, progressive tension. So some people came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, hey, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing a great joy to everybody. Now, when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed, right? So these are Pharisees who are followers of Jesus. They stood up and said, well, it's necessary to circumcise these Gentiles and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and elders came together to look into this. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe, and God, who knows the heart, Testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we're saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Now, all the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done. Through them among the Gentiles. Okay? Now, after they had stopped speaking, James answered. And he said, Hey, everybody, listen to me. Simeon, Simon, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. Now, with this, the words of the prophets agree. Quotes from Amos here, just as it's written. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which is fallen, and I'm going to rebuild its ruins and I'll restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. Last part here. Therefore, it's my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Okay? So here in Acts 15, we have one of the most important stories in the entire Bible. And here's what happens. The Apostle Paul is out there in the ancient world traveling around preaching the gospel. And to the surprise of just about everybody, most Jews are rejecting the gospel, right? Remember, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, and yet most Jews are rejecting the gospel. And yet most Gentiles are accepting the gospel. And it's hard for you and me, you know, with our modern Gentile brains to understand why this was such a big deal, but let's try to understand it. So towards the end of the Old Testament story, we start to get these little glimpses of the idea that Yahweh... Right, which was the Jewish name for God. That Yahweh desired to be the God of all people and not just the Jews. Okay, We see it in Zechariah 2, verse 11, and also chapter 8. It says, many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Also Isaiah 45, verse 22. It says, turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Okay, so as you can see, the Old Testament story gradually moves towards this idea that non-Jewish people, Gentiles, you and me, okay, they would come to worship the one true God and they could be accepted, but only if they became fully Jewish. And becoming fully Jewish meant that you observed Torah, the law of Moses, right? That you observed observed these moral and ceremonial laws about what you could and couldn't eat, could and couldn't wear. And then also, and most importantly, it meant for guys, you know, snip, snip, you know? meant circumcision if you were a guy. All that to say, the traditional Jewish belief was that Gentiles could be accepted by God if they were willing to become Fully Jewish, okay? And so that's what everybody thinks. That's what everybody has always thought. Everybody knows that that's true. But then something happens, okay? Peter and Paul, the two most influential Christians in the history of the world, okay? They have these really strange and unsettling experiences, okay? They're out there in the pagan world. Surrounded by all these godless or semi-godless pagans. And these pagans are not only accepting the gospel, but God is clearly accepting them and even pouring the Holy Spirit out on them even though they're not Jewish. Right? It's just a bunch of uncircumcised Gentiles sitting around eating bacon and, and pork and all these other things they cannot eat. And yet God is pouring the Holy Spirit out on them. What in the world is going on? This is crazy. This can't happen. This is not supposed to happen, right? You get why it's a big deal now. This is not supposed to happen. So the apostles and elders, they get together in Jerusalem to sort this thing out. And they're navigating a very difficult tension, okay? Could you see it? So on the one hand, they've got these very conservative Jewish Christians, okay? And they show up to Jerusalem, you know, in their F-150s and... Uh, and they're like, hey, it's great that all these Gentiles want to join us, that they finally come around. It's great. And they can be a part of what God's doing. But God gave us the law. And God told us that we have to keep it. And so we can't just, like, get rid of the law and brush it aside just because these Gentiles got filled with the Holy Ghost and they're speaking in tongues a little bit. Right? So that's one side. Then on the other side, you've got these more progressive Jewish Christians. Right? And they, they roll up to Jerusalem in their hybrid Subarus, Right? And they're like, man, guys, just, just chill out, man. Everybody's too serious about it. Look, 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 God has poured out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. And we've all seen it. And so we just need to embrace the new thing that God's doing. Hit this. It'll help you chill out a little bit, man. You like my conservative and progressive? And all of this right, is just an ancient example of the classic conservative and progressive tension. Did y'all think we made this up? We didn't make this up. What's happening here? Well, the conservatives want to defend the faith that's been passed down. The progressives want to embrace the new thing that God is doing. Can you see how both these things are good? Um, In my 10 years as a pastor, I have talked with so many people uh, who were very concerned about doctrine. Who are so concerned that the Bible would be taught a certain way. And almost without fail, the people with those concerns are almost always more conservative. Right? If I get an email from somebody with a concern about doctrine, 90% of the time it's from a more conservative person. Now, on the flip side, in my 10 years as a pastor, I have talked to so many people who have these concerns about inclusion and equality, and acceptance, and social justice. Uh, If I receive an email with a concern about inclusion, 90% of the time, it's from a more progressive person. Okay? And so notice what happens here in Acts 15. Okay? As the early Christians debate this enormously complicated issue, you, you get how complicated it was? Enormously complicated issue. There are conservatives and progressives in the room together. <gasps> we could just stop there as the first miracle, right? There are conservatives and progressives, and they are in the room together. They did not have separate churches. They were in the room together. And they debate each other. They do. They needed to. There were some serious things that needed to get sorted out, okay? They debate each other. But they don't vilify each other. And they don't call each other names. And they don't accuse each other of heresy or racism. Right? And that's what conservatives love to accuse progressives of what? Heresy. And progressives love to accuse conservatives of what? Racism. Everything they have to say about each other always boils down to that. You're a heretic, you're racist. No. Rather, notice what they do. They sit with the tension together in the same room and they work it out under the guidance of the Spirit of God. And that tension opens up a way forward that is neither right nor left, but up. It opens up a way forward that is neither conservative nor progressive because it is both conservative and progressive. Are you tracking with me right now? Okay. Because when James stands up in verse 13 and he offers kind of the definitive word on the situation, do you notice that? James is like, all right, y'all be quiet. Listen to me. That's what you can do when you JC's brother. right? He's like, hey, listen up. I have the ruling. He kind of sounds like a conservative, doesn't he? He does to me. Because what does he say? He says, well, this is real complicated. We need to see what scripture says about this. Because we don't get to just make up Christianity however we see fit. We need to be faithful to what Scripture says. And Scripture does talk about the Gentiles being accepted. So he sounds conservative. Mm, But he also sounds a little bit progressive. He does. Because his interpretation of Scripture is clearly influenced by his experience of watching God pour the Spirit of God out On the Gentiles, he's not some rigid biblical fundamentalist. No, he says, y'all, look, I I get it. But like, it is obvious that God has poured the Holy Spirit out on the Gentiles. I was there, man. I saw it. I don't know what to tell you. It's just a bunch of uncircumcised Gentiles with bacon grease on their face. But God poured the Holy Spirit out on them. What do you want me to do? And so we got to just, you know, let go of some of the things in our past. If we want to embrace the new thing that God is doing. We got to grow and evolve and not... Just defend. You can't just play defense if you want to follow this guy. you got to play a little bit of offense too. Faced with this profound tension between defending the past and embracing the new thing that God was trying to do. You see what James did? And James played the tension and he made gospel music by allowing God to pull him into something that was both faithful to the past and it was brand new. Let's bring it in with this. I was raised in a very conservative version of Christianity. Uh, my dad was raised in a very rigid Church of Christ background. Not all Church of Christ is like that, but my dad's was very rigid. My mom was raised Methodist. I think they, you know, flipped the coin and met in the middle and raised us kind of Southern Baptists when we went to church. And there are so many things that I love and cherish about my conservative upbringing. I mean, y'all, Southern Baptists taught me to love the Bible. They did. They taught me to tell people about Jesus. They taught me to take responsibility for my actions instead of always blaming others. And I cherish those things. But my conservative Southern Baptist world was turned upside down one day when I met an Episcopal girl named Allison Brown. Girl, that would eventually become my wife. And if you are unaware, um, Episcopals are a little bit more progressive than Southern Baptists. Then again, who's not? But you know, they're a little bit more progressive than Southern Baptists are. And our relationship was the beginning of a journey in which I came to discover all these ways in which my very conservative background was incomplete, right? It wasn't wrong. It wasn't evil. It was just incomplete. And as is usually the case, right? You know what happens next. I wasn't mature enough to handle it the right way. And I became hypercritical of my upbringing. This is why everybody thinks that their hometown sucks, right? Ah, oh, it's the worst place ever. And I became very critical of more conservative forms of Christianity. And I was on a trajectory to a much more hyper-progressive form of Christianity. It was like 12, 15 years ago. And at some point along the way, man, God just got my attention. And God said, Austin, come on, man, let's huddle up here. Uh, why are you doing this? Why are you acting like you have to choose between being conservative or progressive when you could just be both, man? Whoever told you that you had to choose between those two things, it sounds like you've been listening to too much talk radio and haven't been reading your Bible enough. Because, y'all, it is important to be conservative. It is. You can quote Austin Fisher on that. It is important to be conservative because Christianity is a received faith, which means we don't get to just make it up however we see fit. You don't get to make Christianity up. It's received. I remember talking to this guy a few years ago, super nice guy, and he was telling me that he's a Christian even though he doesn't believe in the resurrection. And I said, well, buddy, um, you know, I don't get to decide who is in or out of the kingdom of God. Thankfully for all of you, that's not a decision Austin Fisher gets to make. But if you don't believe in the resurrection, um, you ain't a Christian, man. You're just just not, and that's no judgment on you. Like, I don't, again, no, it's not my place to decide this, that, that, but I'm just telling you as a simple point of fact, you're not a Christian because Christianity is a received faith, which means we don't get to just make it up because if we do just get to make it up, it is no longer Christianity, but it's just the personal religion of Bob. And if you're a follower of the personal religion of Bob, that's fine, man. That's your right, but just call yourself, you know, I'm a disciple of the personal religion of Bob, and, and I'm not a Christian, okay? So it's important to be conservative. It is. But it's also important to be progressive. Because we have to be open to the new and fresh and surprising work of the Spirit of God, because we don't have it all figured out, y'all. And if you ever need a painfully sobering reminder of this, then just go back and read some of the biblical arguments made in defense of slavery in colonial America. It's painful. Because for hundreds of years, so many conservative Christians were stuck defending slavery because they just could not see the ways in which their biblical defense of heritage and order was blinding them to their sinfully stubborn and pseudo biblical justifications of slavery. Okay, let's end with this. Tim Keller is a Presbyterian pastor up in New York. Uh, and even though he is a heartless Calvinist, I'm just kidding. He's one of the good ones. Um, he said something recently about this that I think is very helpful, and that I think we'll bring it all together. So it, it's a long quote, but it's important, so pay attention here. He says, The early church was a unique kind of human community that defied categories. Okay, it had at least five different elements. It was multiracial and multi-ethnic, which was very odd in the ancient world. It was committed to care for the poor and marginalized. It was strongly against abortion and infanticide, which was very odd in the ancient world. You were allowed to throw your baby out and let it die of exposure if you just didn't want it. It was rigid regarding the ethics of sex, and it was non-retaliatory and non-violent. Now, each of these five elements was there because these early Christians sought to submit to biblical authority. They are all commanded. They are not suggested. They are commanded, and they are just as category-defying, offensive, and attractive today. Now, the first two elements, so ethnic diversity and care for the poor, that sounds liberal to modern American people. Right? You hear people talk about that, and you go, oh, that's just a bunch of liberal talking point, liberal propaganda. The next two, anti-abortion and sexual ethics, they sound conservative. Oh, that's just conservative propaganda. The final element, nonviolent, it sounds like nobody. Churches today are under enormous pressure to jettison the first two. Okay? We can't talk about ethnic diversity. We can't talk about race. We can't talk about the poor. Or get rid of the middle two. Right? We can't talk about abortion. We can't talk about healthy sexual ethics. But few try to keep them all. Yet to give up on any of them would make Christianity the handmaid of a particular political program and undermine the church's mission you gotta sit with that one this week, man. Ooh. And y'all, I, I think Tim Keller is right here. I think he's dead right. And so while I know, and trust me, I know how exhausting it is to try to walk you know, this, this conservative, progressive tightrope, especially in modern America, where you're told you have to choose, and not only do you have to choose, but you have to hate the other side because you're at war with them. I know that. But I really do believe Biblically, the best way to be faithful to Jesus is to walk that tightrope. It's to be both conservative and progressive, not one or the other, because everything else is just nails on a chalkboard. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for today. Thank you that you have loved us and called us and been faithful to us. We pause... And we confess that Christianity is a received faith, which means we don't get to make it up. Here at Vista Community Church, we confess the faith of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. We confess the faith of Peter and Paul and the apostles. And we are glad that we don't get to make Christianity up. Because it's better than anything we would come up with. And so we submit to the faith that has been handed down. And yet we also want to be open to the new and fresh and surprising work of the Spirit of God. We are grateful that these progressive Christians like Peter and Paul were in the room way back then. So that us Gentiles can be in the room now. We open up our hearts to receive the new work that you would like to do even today. We confess the divide does run very deep in our hearts and so we need something supernatural to help us break through these absurd divisions that have been put up in front of us so that we can practice a faith that is both faithful to the past and open to the new things you want to do. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.